Good morning again. If you would, please turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. I'll be reading Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 14 through 18. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Blessed is the reading of God's holy good news of His Son to sinners like us. Father, thank You. Oh, for the gift of your Son. And we thank you for the gift of your apostles and the teachers and the Hebrew Scriptures and the New Testament where you unfold yourself and you unfold the meaning of this Gospel that we are to think about and be affected by which causes us to sing these songs that we do sing, believing them by your grace and the power of your grace and the work of your word in our hearts. And so, oh, may we continue over these next 45 minutes to worship you, to delight in you as you are working in us, that which is pleasing in your sight as your word goes forth to the glory of Jesus, your son. Amen. In one sentence this morning, we have the Christian life summed up. In just a nutshell. It's right there. Verse 14. For by a single offering, He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Say in other words, let me interpret that. God, through Christ, acts in order to perfect, make perfect, or to justify persons. 
Then he ongoingly works on them in this life. That's verse 14. And that means that the popular, ubiquitous, contemporary doctrine within American Christianity get a person to say a prayer bring them under some immediate conviction or fear of hell and then tell them if right now in your mind you mean this and say a prayer you will be saved forever no implication though they don't say it directly then implication you'll be saved no matter what your life from that prayer looks like there on out. You'll be saved even if there is no ongoing trust or love for Christ Jesus. You'll be saved even if there is no holiness developing in your life. That doctrine is really dangerous. It's more dangerous than outright atheism. It's more dangerous than the honesty of people saying, I don't believe there is a God, or I believe there's a God, but the idea that Christianity is the only way. No, it's more dangerous because it inoculates millions of people being raised up in churches. And by the time they're 25 there, they think they knew what Christianity was. Now, it's summed up in verse 14. Christianity and the Christian life. Or it's summed up again by Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Here he puts it, Paul puts it in a nutshell right here. Listen to him. Christian, God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. There is no salvation apart from Christian growth. Unless you're the thief on the cross or deathbed conversion. There is no justification by faith alone apart from the process of sanctification by the Holy Spirit. So let's begin by just examining very closely verse 14. And boy, I wish you have a Bible in front of you, on a, whether a phone or paper. Look at it. Make sure the preacher's not pulling the wool over your eyes. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time 
those who are being sanctified. So notice the term single offering. This is the cause of what comes after. That's the logic of it. In other words, by this, by this thing, what's the thing? By a single offering, what's the effect? By a single offering, here's the effect. He has perfected. For all time. Those who are being sanctified. Now, obviously, offering refers to Jesus' sacrificial, substitutionary death. You can see that back in verse 10 when he just clearly said, We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now, the most important thing to notice now are the tenses of the two verbs in this sentence. The verb perfected and the verb sanctified. He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now, that translation there in the ESV has perfected. It's a good, honest, literal translation of what the Greek says. So, so is the NIV, if you have that in front of you. He has, past tense, made perfect. Now, they're good translations because in the Greek, the word perfected is in the perfect tense, meaning it's a completed action. Done. Jesus has perfected a group of people by means of his sacrificial death. This perfecting is viewed as having been accomplished, it's finished. It's completed. It's done. And then to drive the point home, notice he adds, for all time. Forever. And now notice that he then tells us, well, who are those people? Who are they who have been perfected by? The cross of Christ. Who are they who have been made perfect for all time? Answer right there. Those who are being sanctified. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And that also is a very good translation of the Greek verb because that Greek verb is in the present 
tense, which doesn't only in Greek mean present, but it's got an emphasis on the continuation of the action, the ongoingness, the process presently going on. So what he is saying is that by one sacrifice, Christ has perfected. It's done. It's a completed reality. He's perfected whom? Those who are in the process of being sanctified. The NIV translates it. It's a good translation this way. By one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Because the word we translate in holy or sanctified, it's the same Greek word, hagiao, here. Holy, or he's working and process to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ, holiness being worked in them, a pattern of obedience and following after him. And so, so whether you say being sanctified or being made holy, we're meaning the same thing, this process here. So, the process of sanctification, he's saying, is right now, if you're alive as a mortal being like they were when he wrote the letter to them and we are this morning, it, it, is, it is that thing continuing right now in the lives of Christians. And that's really important to see in order to understand this sentence, this verse. Because... Just like other biblical writers, this author, he, he brings together God's work of justification and his work of sanctification. Those are not like, which like Trinity is not a Bible word, it's a valid theological term, and we got many terms in the history of theology. These are not made up terms to try to say, okay, how do we put them in categories of understanding? These are Paul's terms in Jesus' terms that we read in our New Testament. And he's doing the same thing here. The writer clearly shows that though justification and sanctification are not the same things, they're distinct. Justification is not sanctification. Sanctification is not justification. They're distinct. Even though that's true, he's showing us like the other writers, they are inseparable. Because he says, those who are justified, are those persons who are in the process of being sanctified. So, let's go to justification. That refers to that legal standing before God. Where does that person stand before the court of heaven? Before God, the judge. When one is justified, they have a, 
a new legal standing before God that's happened once and for all time. And that is entirely God's work whereby the faith in the person, faith in the sinner, faith in Christ is at that moment Jesus' suffering the wrath of God on the cross is attributed to that person when saving faith arises within him. And Jesus' righteousness, his perfect, obedient human life is attributed to their account right at new birth. Which, you, you, how do you know someone's born again? You can see it. It's called saving faith. So, in our text, this writer, he, he doesn't hesitate to use a different word. He, he doesn't use here the word dikaiasune, righteousness, or dikaiao, to justify. He, he uses the word perfect. He has perfected. Made, made perfect in order to describe the Christian person's standing with God. If you're a believer, all of us, God has perfected us. He's done it once for all. And this perfection... It does not mean that Christians don't sin or get sick or make mistakes while they're driving and have to show their insurance card to the other person. doesn't mean that. It cannot mean that in our verse. It can't mean that in your walk as a person in this life, you've been made perfect in your desires or perfect in your conduct, your thoughts. Can't mean that. Because in the context, who are the people who have been, past tense, perfected for all time? Who are they? It is those who are in the process of being sanctified, which by definition means they're not fully sanctified or holy in the sense of committing no sin. Because if they were, then they would not need to go on being sanctified. Did you see it? He has perfected those who are ongoingly imperfect. And then the writer, he goes on to explain particularly what he means by 
perfection here. It goes on in verses 15 to 18. Listen to it. And the Holy Spirit bears witness to us for after saying, remember, he's Jeremiah 31, he's already quoted it a couple times, and he does it again. So he says, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Here's his point now. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. That's why the one offering for all time perfected them. Whom? Those for whom Christ died. He is explaining right here what we just read, this present perfection in terms of Forgiveness, sins have been utterly forgiven. There's nothing against those persons. Sins have been put away. We stand sinless. And indeed, with Christ's righteousness, perfect before God. The nature of this perfection or justification is not a process. It's a settled reality. It's accomplished by the life and the sacrificial death of Christ once for all. There is nothing that can ever be added to it. That's the great New Testament gospel. The great New Testament doctrine of justification by faith alone. You remember when Paul went to Antioch and grieved him of the behavior, the imperfect behavior of many. His really good friend Barnabas and the apostle Peter himself. And it affected the whole church. So he, in front of the large gathering wherever they assembled, addressed Peter in front of them all. And he said, Peter, we, you and I, as Jews, we also have believed, put our faith in Christ Jesus in order to be perfected or justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by the works of the law no one will be justified ever or as our verse puts it by a single offering 
He has justified for all time those who are being sanctified. I know he doesn't use the word justified there. My argument is it's exactly what he's referring to. He just uses the word perfection. Made perfect. The, the process of, of sanctification then is what gives evidence that real faith is in the person. That, that, that you are, in other words, one of those who has been justified or has been made perfect in God's eyes. So let's go to sanctification. What is that? It is the internal. Let me. Justification is external to you. It's not something that happens in you. It happens in God. Concerning you. Sanctification is that which is happening in the justified Person. It's the internal working of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God and the means of grace. It's, it's an ongoing process of conforming to the image of Christ. It's very personal and it's experiential. And that's the key word. Justification is not experiential. That's something that happens in God. But Christ's righteousness in justification is imputed to your account. Justified. But sanctification is the ongoing experience in the everyday life of those who are justified. This is the internal work, in other words, of sanctification that begins at new birth. Saving faith when it arises. And one of the early signs of that new birth, of that coming alive to Christ, of true conversion to Jesus, one of the early signs is a dissatisfaction with your sin. And thus a striving for holiness. In this mortal life, we are justified, made perfect before God. And yet, you can describe the Christian like this. That person is just. They are righteous. And a sinner. That's how Martin Luther accurately put it in the 1500s. We are all Still sinners, even though we're born again and indwelt by the Holy Spirit and justified before God 
for all time, forever and ever in His sight. And, and although we are therefore perfect before God in terms of our present standing before Him, nevertheless, in another sense, we are far from perfect in, in terms of our thoughts and our actions. Sanctification in this life is this process of closing that gap of perfection and imperfection, which will never be closed in this life. All the way, we await, as the writer has constantly been telling us, for that great day when he returns to save to the uttermost. Okay, in other words, Paul was very aware of this. We're justified. I don't look for any righteousness of my own. Only his is what I bank everything on. And then he's in process of sanctification. And he says, oh no, am I am not there. I'm in process. So when, this is how he says it in Philippians 3.12. Not that I, Paul, have already obtained this thing I strive for. Or, or, or that, here's his word, or that same word too, to tell us that I'm already perfect. I'm not, is what he's saying. But he says this, but I press on. Here it is, that's sanctification. I press on to make it my own. So, at the moment of a person's new birth, there's a significant internal change. You've been granted, this is what he's been telling us from Jeremiah 31, the Hebrew author, a new heart, a heart of flesh. Now that you've been granted something, you didn't have a, a genuine love for God in Jesus Christ. In other words, to be born again means that's what's been born by the Spirit of God in you. The Apostle Paul, he says, it, he says it this way to Titus in Titus 3, 5. He saved us. Not because of works that were done by us in righteousness. No, 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 no. But he saved us according to his own mercy. Watch it. By the washing of rebirth. Re regeneration. And the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Behold, all things for those who are in Christ have been made new. Something has drastically changed in the sinner. Regeneration. They've come alive because God made them alive. They were dead. 
And now they're alive to all these other things, namely God, the gospel, Christ, holiness. It's the renewal. When a person is born again, he or she cannot continue to sin as an unhindered pattern of life. The Holy Spirit has created, okay, this is my term, I don't know what you can argue with, but the, and we talked about this last Wednesday at home group. What happens in new birth is now the Holy Spirit has created something that wasn't there in this way before. He's created this wonderful dilemma. This wonderful confusion. Because you're new. Paul speaks of this in terms of you're a new man. Woman, you're a new person, new man, but you carry with you the old man, which you are to be fighting against and killing and putting to death. This is what the Apostle John means when he writes in 1 John 3, 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning because God's seed lives in him. And thus he cannot Keep on, without repentance, sinning. Why? Because he has been born of God. So think about it. When we experience that new birth called Death to life, you were, we were all dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, being rich in mercy, made us alive. When we experience that, what happens? We're filled with a sense of great joy for this unbelievable gift. That's when we recognize that the gospel is absolutely good news. And thus it feels as if everything is it's changed. New birth did change us. What it did is it added a whole new list of inclinations you did not have before. And that your peer group from which you come out of, they look at you because if they're not in there yet, they, what is with you? You desire to go to Bible study? Instead of get drunk with us, you, you desire to lift arms and sing praises to God. I mean, you really want to do that? Yes. I mean, you find it delightful to, to over 
the Word of God with other people who love Jesus to have discussion? Yes. Because new birth, the seed is implanted and you're very different. But, in another sense, we're not much different. In our natural inclinations, however our character, personality has developed up to that time, in our conduct at times. But before new birth, we had all kinds of flaws, bad habits, now, new birth comes, we come alive in Christ, and we are justified. We are, before God, made perfect. But, we're still the same person. We still have those bad habits. We still have that personality flaw or flaws. Those traits, they remain. So, if that's true, then should we therefore doubt because of we see our sinfulness and brokenness and undone, should we doubt the reality of our salvation? Absolutely not. Don't doubt it because of that. The, that reality is the experience of salvation. The, the very fact that we're, in a new way, aware of our imperfections, of our sinfulness. Actually, we, we may be more aware than we ever were before. Well, we thought we were much better than we are. Because the light has shined. And when you turn on a light in a very messy bedroom, you want to turn the light off. Because you see how dirty it is. But it is that dissatisfaction, that awareness, oh God, which is proof of God's work of transformation that he began at new birth and is continually doing. At the core of this, this ongoing process of being sanctified is an increasing distaste for remaining sin and, and a growing desire for holiness. And from that desire factory comes changes in the person's lifestyle where they need to be changed, in patterns of living, in decisions, in conduct. And that's the battle. That's the Christian life. See if you can't hear it in Paul's life. As he writes about this tension in Romans 7, starting with verse 14, the Apostle Paul says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I 
am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Verse 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I, because I'm born again, I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind in making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. That's the Christian life in a nutshell. Just like our verse. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are in process of being sanctified. Jesus has fully guaranteed, fully accomplished the holiness of those who are now being made holy. That's our verse. One more thing. What does that all mean for us? Great. All right, we got some theology on justification, distinct from sanctification, but inseparable. Are we to leave here and wake up every day as Christians and go do something? The answer is yes. Go and pursue sanctification. But, back off for a moment. Don't do it in a legalistic way. Which means that's why it's crucial to understand how God tells us He works. In other words, I, mean, I said it that way because a lot of people don't like the word theology, but that's what it is. So what I mean is this. Go do it. But there's a nuance to how you understand sanctification. And what I mean is this. For instance, who does the work of sanctification? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, the Apostle Paul says this. Now may the God of peace himself, here's the verb now, sanctify you. Active voice, God's doing it, not you, there. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Or in 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul writes, and we all, here we are now, with unveiled face, context of Listening to this sermon this morning. Reading your own Bible right before you right now. We all, with unveiled face, 
We're beholding the glory of the Lord and are being transformed. Passive voice. It's happening to us by the hand of another in listening to this sermon. We are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That's sanctification. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Or our text is crystal clear. It is those who are being sanctified. It's a passive voice. The those are not actively doing the sanctifying. It is being done to them. God, the Father, Christ, and by the Spirit is the actor of that sanctification. But on the other hand, there are the verses that speak directly to our action and our role. In sanctification. Let me just give you four examples. In Galatians 5.16, Paul says to us by the Spirit. Here it is. But I say, you walk by the Spirit. There you go. That's what we're supposed to do. That's active. We're the actor. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Or Ephesians 5.1. Therefore, be imitators of God, His beloved children, and walk in love toward others. Just as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us. Or Ephesians 6.1. Yeah, every day, wake up and put on your clothing. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Or Hebrews 12, verse 19. Strive for peace with everyone. And strive for the sanctification or, or holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So, which is it? Is God sanctifying us, or is it our pursuing sanctification? And you know the answer. The biblical answer is yes. It's God's work on one level. I am not a synergist. I ain't going to get into that term for a moment. It's God's work on one level. And then there's a totally different level, that's our level, where it is our work of obedience, of faith, of, of striving. On the level that God is sanctifying us, He is the only actor. In other words, without fail, every single perfected person will have, or justified person, will have the process of sanctification being done by God to them and in them.
And the way God works, and he manifests that, is that that action on that level is what is the cause of producing our pursuing holiness. The means of grace, the word of God in the community of Christ's people. Holy communion and prayer. And iron sharpening iron. Singing and praising God. If you find yourself to be one of those people who does that. It ain't owing to you. It's owing to a different level. So we are actively putting our trust in God which is resulting in a repentant, ongoing, repentant life of obedience. Or to say that another way, God does it, but he ordains not just the ends, our sanctification, but he ordains the means of that sanctification. Those means are the commands for us to obey him, to pursue sanctification, to walk in the obedience of faith. Our work and God's work, on on these different levels, it's seen crystal clearly in two verses Philippians 2, 12 to 13. In a nutshell, here's how Paul puts it. You, Christian, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's one level. Here comes the other level. For, why should we do this? Because... It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, obviously, he does not mean work for your salvation. He means since you are born again, since you have come alive to Christ, since now you are to know I am justified and Jesus' righteousness has been put to my account and God is in process working on me constantly. Therefore, because of that, work, strive. Fight to trust in God against all the inclinations of your remaining sinful nature. And as you do this, you know it is all owing to the reality that God is at work in you. Both to will and to work for His good pleasure. In other words, it is our verse. Verse 14, Hebrews 10. For by a single offering... He has perfected for all time those persons who are being sanctified. So finally then, oh, we who believe, we who are saved by faith in Christ, make sure 
you don't mishear, but that you hear accurately what has been said. That you hear the encouragement that this is for, if you're like me, for undone, imperfect sinners like us. Verse 14 of Hebrews 10, it means you can have assurance that you stand perfected and utterly forgiven forever in the eyes of your Father, not because you are in the functionality of your present life perfect now, but precisely because you are not perfect yet, but you are being sanctified. In other words, there's a process that shows that the trajectory of your life toward Jesus is real. That's your assurance. When you find yourself repenting, when you find yourself like Paul, I really want this, and then before you know it, and, that, and you think those thoughts because you don't, you hate that. It, let your assurance skyrocket. <laughs> That's why the writer keeps telling us, look to the resurrection. That's coming. Do you long for Jesus that way? That's your power in the midst of this process. Are you despising your present imperfections? Are you yearning for more holiness to be worked in you? Therefore, go. Pursue holiness because it is God who is at work in you, actively sanctifying you. For by a single offering, he has perfected you before his courtroom for all time, forever and ever, all of you who are being sanctified. Let's pray. Father, while we were still in unbelief and spiritual death, you sent your son to the cross. You certainly shall save us from the wrath to come because you have justified those whom you are sanctifying. You will always hold us fast. 